Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 223 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Angela J. Ford all about selling direct and creating high-quality books and book boxes. We had lots of comments on Ines's episode. Uh, Karen Heenan said, you two had way too much fun, which is absolutely true, we did. CJ said, honestly, I could have listened for another hour. We'll have to go back and listen with a notebook. And Samo Remo said, ooh, this is fire. I can't wait to listen to. I've got big plans over the next few years and need to figure my shit out. And Matthew Goodall said, such fantastic, a fantastic energetic interview. Love it. So in personal news and updates then, I have um, had a few days off, obviously, it was Christmas. Um, I am going to start editing the book today and I'm really desperately trying to (laughs) hold off putting the pre-order up because I need to see how long it's going to take me to edit. Um, But I am imminently going to do that and I'm also, I've decided to put this book wide so this one won't be going into KU which means I'm also going to be doing a pre-order. I've got to learn how to do a pre-order on my Shopify store as well. So my Shopify store has been going from strength to strength over the last few days. Um, I have uh, just found that the number of paperback orders has been bonkers, basically. I'm really quite shocked by it. Um, I'm pretty sure it's all generated from TikTok. Um, I'm going to dig into the analytics, but yeah, it, obviously I have no eBooks on there at the moment anyway. So it is all sort of hardback, signed hardbacks and physical uh, paperback bundles that I am selling on there. And yeah, it's, it's really going very well. I'm very, very pleased with it. So I will try and have some lessons learned, I guess, from that, perhaps at the end of the um, business year when I do my roundup. So in other news then, I have been planning my goals for next year and I have got a good, better, best Mount Everest and then golden win goal for book production next year. Uh, My good goal is four books, my better goal is five, my best goal is six, my Everest goal is seven and my golden win is eight. Now I'm obviously (laughs) being number one competition going to charge for eight but I will not be uh, miserable or unhappy if I miss that because I've got lots of wins that I can get on the way up to that. I have done, I have written four this year. I've published three and I've written four whilst half of the year, 50% of my time obviously was gone with freelance. So I am cautiously optimistic that I will be able to get at least four quietly between me and you I'll probably be pissed off if I don't get more than four (laughs) so anyway that's um like the major goal I'm going to set uh Shopify goals I think the goal will just be to like get one order a day that would be great like to average one order a day so I guess 365 orders across the year that would be great that's probably going to be my goal nice and low to start with um and then I am going to set goals for TikTok my follow account is about to broach 9,000. So I, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It's really hard to say because obviously I'm still on the tail end of um, the sort of micro viral 
video, uh, which obviously generated a huge number of followers. But I suppose 10,000 would be great. If I could hit 10,000, um, maybe 15, that would be fantastic by the end of the year. But we'll, we shall see. I mean, I, I don't really know how to set goals for that because obviously it's been such a bizarre um month for followers i'm not setting financial goals for next year i do have a particular figure in mind but i don't set financial goals because i think it's really difficult to control them um you can't control purchaser you know buying basically so i i don't like to set goals that are out of my control I like to only set goals that I can affect the result of. So um, I won't be setting financial goals, but I, I will be checking <laughs> the money a little bit more regularly because I am approaching a goal that I've had for a really long time. So um, obviously it's like the start of a new calendar year, so it'll go back to zero. Uh, but I sort of have two years. I have the tax year and then I have a calendar year. So um yeah, basically, I'm going to be watching the money a little bit more closely this year. And then I have a a goal for a couple of other business product projects that I'm not ready to talk about yet. And I think there was one more, but it's just literally slipped out of my brain. Oh, yeah, of course, I want to do three to four live webinars across the year. I'd like to aim for one a quarter. Um, but because of certain trips, I'm not sure if I'll quite hit that. Um, so it might it might be that I end up doing a couple relatively close together or, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I would like, I'd be happy with three. I'll be delighted with four if I manage to do four over the course of the year. And speaking of live webinars, I do have my very first one, Pros in the Market, coming up. So this webinar is going to be run over the weekend of the 9th and 10th of February. So Friday the 9th, although it will be uh, early morning on Saturday the 10th for uh, New Zealand and Australia. Um, but the webinars are going to be run exactly the same webinar three times in order to accommodate uh, time zones. And this webinar is all about writing to market. Now, writing to market isn't new, but when teachers talk about it, they often focus on understanding the market, advertising, brand and pitch. But that leaves a whole raft of space for the craft. So how do you write to market in terms of the craft, the writing of writing to market. If you're tired of trying to work out how to deliver what readers want, then this is the workshop for you. In this session, I'm going to explain how to deconstruct best-selling books and implement the tools you find. I'm going to give you an easy three-step me three methodology for deconstruction, practical examples of deconstruction and implementation in your own work. I'm going to talk about why you're not using copywriting enough and where you should be using it in your novels, how to intentionally slip TikTokable marketable scenes into your novels that will hook readers. We're going to be looking at the craft of tropes and we'll do some live deconstruction using examples you guys give me during the sessions and I'll give you a little bit of prep notice about that. You'll also receive a mini workbook containing exercises for you to implement all of the things that you learn during the session and there is going to be a half an hour Q&A uh, with me live where you can throw your questions at me during the session. So basically just come and spend some time with me, come and spend a couple of hours uh, with me, we're going to geek out, we're going to nerd all about the craft of writing to market, looking at you know, the writing, deconstruction, how you can improve your craft in 2024. So if you think that sounds like something that you would like to do, I will leave a link in the show notes. Okay, so the rebel of the week this week is Eden. Eden says, 
My Irish grandmother, Nanny, is a rebellious soul who I think we can all aspire to be one day. She told me another ferry-related story when I was up in Scotland that would be considered rather rebellious even today. It was the early 1950s and Nanny was about 16 or 17 when it was decided that she would accompany her grandmother, my great-great-grandmother for those keeping score at home, on a trip to the edge of the known world at that time, otherwise known as Liverpool, to visit relatives relatives, particularly those with single young men available. Now, my great-great-grandmother, Marie-Anne, was a was rather elderly for the time being in her 70s, and perhaps not as sharp as she had once been. So off they went from Muff, sorry, couldn't resist saying it again, to Belfast and across the Irish Sea to Liverpool. However, this was not the story of what happened in Liverpool, but rather what happened on the way back. They were heading back to Ireland on the ferry after a couple of weeks in Liverpool. Both were feeling as it, as is often the case with holidays, rather worn out. So my great-great-grandmother falls asleep and is snoring away, but Nanny can't sleep on the rocking ship, so stays awake. The ferry arrives back in Belfast and my great-great-grandmother is fast asleep. She says she'll be down in a bit and she'll get a porter to unload most of the bags. So Nanny makes her way to the quay and waits for her there. But her grandmother doesn't show up and the ferry heads back to Liverpool, leaving Nanny stranded in Belfast and my great-great-grandmother, who woke up just as the ferry was leaving, heading back to Liverpool with all the luggage. Oh, what to do, what to do. It was going to be at least half a day before they would be reunited and possibly even longer. So naturally, Nanny went on a pub crawl, ending up more more by chance than anything else in a pub that had accommodation, where she rented a room and passed out. The next morning, when the Liverpool ferry arrived back in Belfast, my great-great-grandmother was greeted at the dock by a very hungover Nanny. My great-great-grandmother was rather unimpressed with her unkempt appearance, but Nanny said that it was because she hadn't slept all night, worrying that something had happened to her. At this, my great-great-great-grandmother softened a bit and they both agreed to tell Nanny's parents that they had decided to spend an extra day in Belfast due to bad weather and neither of them would mention what really happened. Perhaps my great-great-grandmother had a kernel kernel of rebelliousness in her as well. Oh, I love that. I love, I love that she went out drinking. <laughs> oh, that is amazing. However, that is the last rebel story that we have. So we are now officially, for the first time ever, out of rebel stories. If you would like to be a rebel of the week, and I desperately hope that you do want to be, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, or something in between. I really, really, really want to carry on these rebel stories, but I can't if you don't send in your stories. So if you have been sitting on one, now is the time to act. Do not waste time. Please send them in um, to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. Please, please, please. I love these segments. So please do send in your stories. Welcome and a huge thank you to new patrons, Victoria and Jackie James. And of course, an enormous thank you to all of my existing patrons. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content like access to the community Slack group, where we chat all the time, uh, and you can ask questions and everybody's got an answer to help you on your journey, where you will be able to join me 
me for the live Q&A um, and Poison and Prose sessions that we run monthly where we write together, we answer questions and we just hang out or the movie nights where we all jump on Zoom and watch a movie together or the live masterclasses, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. And the masterclass, the next masterclass is the Amazon number one bestseller where we are look, comparing a indie author and a trad author who have both got to number one on the Amazon store. So we'll be looking across their work, the book, the um, brand package pitch platform, all of that good stuff. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Pro Writing Aid, but rather than me tell you all about why I love them, I'm going to let Cassie tell you all about why she loves them. I'm one of those lifetime licensed Pro Writing Aid individuals. I love it so much. It's a part of my integrated editing for all of my manuscripts, for all of the books I have published and am working on now. The reason why I love it so much is I love Scrivener and I love the desktop plugin with regards to Scrivener. The reports are fantastic. It allows me to know where to focus on. And one of the key features that I really enjoy is setting it up with my genre in mind and comparing me to another author who writes in my genre. You don't get those kind of insights with a lot of editing tools. And this allows me to see how I'm faring against the market. I couldn't replace that. That is indispensable and I love it. So if anyone ever asks me what I use in terms of editing, in terms of my process, it's Pro Writing Aid. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Angela J. Ford. Angela is a best-selling author who writes epic fantasy and steamy fantasy romance with vivid worlds, grey characters, and endings you just can't guess. She has written and published over 30 books. She enjoys traveling, hiking, and gaming with her husband. First and foremost, Angela is a reader and can often be found with her nose in a book. Angela and her husband run The Signed Bookshop, a one-stop shop for signed books and book merchandise. If you happen to be in Nashville, you'll most likely find her enjoying a white chocolate mocha and daydreaming about her next book. Hello and welcome. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Oh, you're most welcome. I'm excited to have you. Um, so uh, let's talk about the fact that you're a reader first and foremost, which is interesting because a lot of writers won't say that. They'll say they're writers first. So, okay, what are your favorite fantasy romances from this year? Oh, wow. Okay, so I read absolutely every genre. So that's first up, one of the things. And I will say some of my top reads this year, not necessarily in the fantasy romance specifically, but um, I love contemporary romance. And so I read the uh, Yours Truly by Abby Jimenez. And then her two books were just all my top two favorites uh, for this year. And then one of my favorite reads of this year is another indie author, Sarah K. L. Wilson, and she wrote A Deed's Most Valiant. And that one has the forbidden romance trope. It's actually more epic fantasy. It's a murder mystery. It's really fun. Um, but I just like binge read that book in just a few days. It was absolutely fantastic. Oh, so, wow. Yes. I love it. I highly it. recommend it. So are you are you a fast reader too? Do you read a lot of books every year? 
I am not as fast as I used to be. I used to be able to read between like 50 to 100 books a year. Now I'm so much slower, but I think it's because I'm taking more time to just really enjoy what I'm reading instead of uh, reading as fast as I can. Just really like sinking my teeth into the story, seeing what the author did that I absolutely loved about it, looking a little bit at the character development, the story structure, really seeing it as a enjoyable research uh, time. Yeah, I love that. I definitely split my time between binge reading because I'm a reader and I just like cookie monster books. And then the rest of the time is like slightly slower. I have a pen at hand and I'm like sacrilege, but I'm scrolling notes in the in the corners of things and stuff like that. So I definitely split my time. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, tell everyone a little bit about you and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so obviously we talked about the reading part, how I'm a huge reader, and that really started, gosh, I say when I was even like two or three years old. My mom finally broke down and taught me how to read when I was four years old because I would not stop just like opening books up and making up my own stories. And that really never stopped. Like even when I was reading all the time, I was really excited about the story, where it was going. And then when it ended, I was always thinking, oh, you know, I would have written it this way, or I would have made the characters do like this and that and the other. And so I decided to start writing my own stories. And I started when I was 12. Uh, I started working on a huge epic fantasy series. Of course, it was very much inspired by like Chronicles of Narnia, um, the Redwall collection, and then also Lord of the Rings. And so I started there. And then by the time I was um, graduating from high school, I was really thinking about writing. And I decided that it was not a viable career at all. So I put all all the writing away and I went off to college to get a real degree and I studied business and which was really exciting. And I really wanted to go into the music industry, but I discovered there really isn't any money in the music industry unless you can work for someone like Taylor Swift or Beyonce. That's where you're going to make some money. But just the normal people day to day, there's not too much money in um, music. And so I decided to focus more on business. But the one thing that kept coming back to me was writing. Like I could not stop writing. I was still making up stories. I was still writing them down. And after a little while, I heard about like indie publishing and people getting really big on like Kindle Unlimited. And I sat down and I thought, well, my whole goal with writing was never to um, become like this huge, like traditionally published author. My initial goal was always to get my book into the hands of readers. And so indie publishing will allow me to do exactly what I've always wanted to do is get my books into the hands of readers. And so that's when I finally published my first book in 2015. And that is where everything began. Oh, I love that so much. That's so interesting also about like the music world. And I think like, obviously you always had creativity on that periphery, like whether it was music or writing or, yeah, that's so interesting. And I love that you say that indie is how you get your book into the hands of readers. I completely um, agree. I don't think it's any easier. (laughs) I completely agree. (laughs) No, but it's faster, much faster. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay, so the reason I asked you on the show is because you have an amazing website. You do some really um, 
unusual things, some things that may be seen as more of traditional publishing methods. Um, and you make them work as an indie. So I am just fascinated by this. And I'd love to dive into all of it. So first of all, let's talk about the fact that you sell direct. Um, and you also sell a multitude of different products. So can can we first like talk about maybe like why you chose to do that? Um, and then sort of how you're doing that. So like, what is the setup? Like, are you, is it like website and plugins? Is it a Shopify? Um, yeah, like how are you, how, how are you doing it? <laughs> I love this question because this is one of, uh, this is actually something I'm very passionate about. So when I started publishing in 2015, I quickly learned about Amazon and the algorithm and the, the things that you have to do in order to be a successful author selling on Amazon. And it made me very unhappy. Like I remember my book like skyrocketed to the top. I was getting like thousands of downloads and thousands of reviews. And on the outside, everything looked perfect because, you know, I was making the big money and I was getting all the reviews and I was getting all the downloads and all the sales, but I didn't like it. I was like, I... I don't like this business. I don't like the way I have to like throw money at ads all the time and kind of like guess what's working and what's not working. And it just made me really sit back and think about what I actually wanted to do as an author. And I remembered when I first released my book, my very first book in 2015, one thing that I did was I had a book release party. It was just a local one. And I was living in an apartment at the time. And so I had like 50 people come over to my tiny apartment and cram in there and they all bought books and I sold out instantly. And I thought about that and I was like, well, what if I could like take that kind of book launch party vibe that I really liked and selling direct vibe that I really liked. And instead of having people come over to my tiny apartment, I can just have them come to my website online and buy directly from me. And I thought about that. And that's something that actually got me excited. I was really happy about the ideal of it. And so I sat down and I started to make that work. And so that's really where the whole background of direct selling came from, was trying to replicate that feeling of selling direct to people, but not having it have to be in person, but really capitalizing on the fact that online is really powerful. And so I first started out on WooCommerce um, with a WordPress background, and I built websites for different people, different businesses. And so I, I felt very familiar with the technology. One thing that I noticed right off the bat that was really frustrating was that with WooCommerce, I felt very limited in what I could do. And if I wanted to do anything, I needed to buy tons of plugins to replicate the same feeling that other businesses had. So for example, Amazon is always like a great place to look at for inspiration. And so it's Etsy because they have they have everything down pat and they are companies that are really big. They're doing really well and they're selling well. And so when I was looking at inspiration and just kind of looking at the process, I went to Amazon and I went to Etsy and I noticed, okay, when you buy something, you get the confirmation email. Sometimes you can sign up for text messages. So you know exactly when your order ships, you can follow the tracking. You can go to the website and easily pull up your account. You can see where all the tracking is at. 
Um, you can also look at, you know, the dates that something might ship, like how fast do things ship? Um, Amazon, of course, they're very, very fast. On Etsy, you know, they kind of have it. Okay, this person ships in, you know, 10 business days. And so just making sure all those things were upfront was very hard to do with WooCommerce. But I was selling and it was working. And so I decided to switch over to Shopify just because Shopify, I had um, bought from other companies that use Shopify. I did like the process. It was very easy. And I decided, you know what? I definitely am making enough to handle this, you know, $30 a month fee of for using Shopify. And so I switched over to that and I started using it and my sales doubled right away. And I think it really was because Shopify was a very um, friendly platform. It was easy to use. And lots of people were familiar with the checkout process, kind of like how lots of people are familiar with checking out on Amazon or checking out on Etsy. People are very familiar with how to check out on Shopify. And it just made it so easy. It removed all the barriers to success and it just took off from there. And the other thing that I really liked about it was I had had a lot of hesitations with moving over to Shopify because I am a website designer. I like to build. I like things to be exactly the way I like them to be. And Shopify was not a friendly platform for customizations at all. And that used to be true. Um, like, five, 10 years ago, that is no longer true. So about the time I switched over, I was able to customize everything to make this beautiful experience exactly the way that I want it to be. They have lots of templates, lots of plugins. I mean, you can go wild, but I was able to create it exactly the way I wanted it to be and work on the improvement um, to really make it something that customers love coming to the website, they love to shop, they know exactly where their package is at, how long it's going to take, they know about all of my policies, and it's just a very seamless, easy process for them. So that's really where everything started. So um, I love this because I currently have a WooCommerce on my nonfiction site. And then at the moment, my fiction, e so I've started a new pen name this year. So I'm only three books in, um, but it's doing quite well. And um, I don't, There, the eBooks are in KU at the moment, but um, everything else I have is wide. So, and I'm like wide at heart. So I'm finding it difficult. And the other thing I'm finding difficult is that um, certain printers who are very well known have shafted me in a number of ways this year. And I'm really quite sick and tired of it. Um, and it's really like scuppering my kind of timeline and processes. And I'm wanting to do like more. Um, so, yeah, I love hearing this and I and I love like um, hearing that like that it's so customizable because I think WooCommerce is quite clunky. Like I had to do plugins with Royal Mail and all of this stuff. And ugh. but so I suppose my question is, at what point did you how many books did you have before you moved like to Shopify? Do you feel like you need to be at a certain point? Because I mean, with with shop, if I do this, I would do it with with Ruby Row first, with with the sapphic fiction first. Um and obviously there's only three books. So I'm like, oh, do I hold off until the next series is done? Do I wait six months? Like, do I do I just go now? Um, so yeah, and I would start with print before I did eBooks, I think, because they're still, I, I when the next one's in KU, I'll pull this one out. Um, yeah, I don't know. Talk me through like the strategy and, and kind of like, do you just go straight away? Like, yeah, I don't know. Actually, it's a great question because 
I wanted to use something that was free. That was very important to me because I didn't know how direct selling would go. And I wasn't sure if it would work. And so the first time I did direct selling, I had a collection of six fairy tale books. They were short stories. I rent them because I was switching from epic fantasy to fantasy romance. And I wanted to really understand the genre first. So I wrote a collection of six short stories just to get my feet wet. And then I bundled those together and I sold them um, over the Christmas season. And I sold six of them. And that was my experience. And I was like, well, okay, that did not go so well. Uh, And I stressed myself out because I actually went to the post office and put in every single address and printed out shipping, which you should never, ever do. Uh, It took forever and it was only six books. Uh, So then the next time, um, a few months later, well, not not even like one month later, I announced another book that I was selling, which is Music of the Night, which is my best-selling book. Um, So I announced that one and... I was not prepared because I got flooded with sales, just absolutely flooded. And I was buying like a a printer so I could print my labels at home and just all of these things. But once those sales continued and I continued to see the success, like even three months later, four months later, six months later, I was like, okay, I have to do something because this is working and the money is flowing in. And so I guess that is the point where I sat back and was like, okay, now that I know that it's working and this book series is going to sell really well, I'm willing to invest more into it um, versus the series that sold six books initially. Uh, I wasn't willing to invest more in that because the, the sales numbers were so sad. But, you know, if you have a book that's selling really well and it gets out there and it just goes crazy, then yes, Um definitely. Yeah, it, it's difficult for me because I started via TikTok and I had, you know, I shared all the pre-order numbers. So this was a brand new pen name with no audience, no mailing list, no nothing. And I had just under 400 pre-orders with um, over 50% were paperbacks. And I've seen, whilst the paperback has dropped a little bit, I have still seen like in excess of probably 30 to 35% of my sales are paper. But obviously they're all through like Amazon, Barnes and Noble and so I'm like, hold on a minute. I'm not earning very much for each one of these sales. Like they take so much money. It is unbelievable. Like I looked at my sales this year and I was like, Fuck, that's quite a lot of paperback sales. And like, then I looked at the royalties and I was like, ah, oh, hell no. <laughs> I'm going to do something about this. Yes. And, and that was the thing that like stopped me cold on Amazon. Like I'm looking at my audiobook royalties and I'm looking at my ebook royalties and I'm like, the world there is like no money that is coming to me i mean there's money coming to me but it just when you look at the the total sum you're like i'm making so little compared Mm. to like what they're just taking off for me and that was part of the dissatisfaction there i was like well you know if i'm gonna have to work hard and promote all my stuff through amazon i might as well work hard and promote all of my stuff my way And I will say that as a side effect, like I don't run any ads to Amazon or anything like that, but people are aware that my books are on Amazon. And so the Amazon people are definitely going to go there and get their books. And so it's not like you have to decide I'm all direct or all Amazon. Like it's their benefits to having both for sure. Yeah, I definitely struggle with that because I'm like an all or nothing person, but I, I really want to start with 
books, just do physical books first. And especially because I've just, the green book here uh, here is my last one in that series and I'm now writing the next one and I want to do higher quality. So, you know, like maps and character art and, you know, under the jacket kind of stuff. So that's that's one of the reasons I'm like, oh, pretty books. How do I do this? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so let me go back to the difference between the, the book that I sold six and the book that I sold hundreds. So the one that I sold six of, it was a paperback and it was just, you know, just one of those normal paperbacks that you can get. Um, and I print it through Amazon. The, the book that sold hundreds, the turning point for me was the fact that I did a hardcover. And so underneath the dust jacket, there was the hardcover and people went wild for it. Absolutely wild for it. And it struck me that if I wanted to be competitive and actually draw people to my website versus them just going to Amazon and getting it, then I needed to have something that they perceived that they could not get anywhere else. And yes, they can get the beautiful hardcover on Amazon, but Amazon doesn't show you what the naked hardcover looks like. They only show you the dust jacket. And so you're not sure what you're getting unless like the author like puts it into A plus content on the page. You don't know what you're getting um, until someone else shows you or says like, this is what it actually is. And so right there on my website, I was able to show both covers side by side. And that made all the difference because it was beautiful. And people were like, I want that. And so they grabbed it immediately instead of going to Amazon and trying to find it. So let's talk about the fact that um, it's beautiful and kind of how you're doing that, because there you do book boxes and there's like book box in air quotes that we all think of. So things like Owlcrate and Fairy Loot and that, and that sort of thing. And then there's the book boxes that you're doing. So I just wondered for listeners, maybe could you give like a definition or an explanation of kind of the different types of book boxes and what you're doing? Yeah, yeah so definitely. So a lot of um, companies do the subscription box. And so it's so that they can focus on getting that recurring income. They know that they have probably thousands of readers that want what they are going to offer every single month. And so the best way to hook them is by offering that subscription. And so then they they have that diversity to go through and get like licensing from other um, authors so that they can really focus on getting those popular books and then creating the merchandise to go along with them. And that is just absolutely beautiful what they're doing. So when I talk about book boxes, I'm talking about just like a one of my books and then like a set of specific book merchandise that comes with it that can be purchased at any time. Like I usually always have them available unless I'm like restocking on like candle jars or something like that or getting you sent in. But um, I usually always have them available because I want people to have a unique reading experience. And I also want to give them something that they can't get anywhere else. And so no one can go on Amazon and go buy my book boxes. They have to come to me. And so there is that focus on creating this something beautiful that people actually really want uh, because that is the hook, right? Like I need to bring them in. And so if I have like the beautiful book with the uh, the beautiful case design and then these gorgeous candles that go with them and then the art print and the bookmark and then something else that goes with it as well. That really drives, brings those people in and they're used to buying um, a subscription from other subscription boxes. And so it's kind of nice when you can go and say like, oh, I don't have to sign up and spend $40 every single month. I can buy, you know, this book box and then, you know, six months later I can get the next one that comes 
gets out and then six months later get the next one. And I'm not on the hook for like all of this money that's just running out the door um, with all of this stuff that keeps coming in. How much administration is involved? Because obviously, like when you sell direct, but you're using like a book vault or, um, you know, a, a Shopify connected maybe to Ingram Spark, I'm not sure. There's no admin because the books are being printed and shipped like externally in the warehouses. So is that the case for you? Are you having to pack and ship every single box? Like how much time does that require? Like talk to me about the admin burden. Yeah, so definitely there is admin. So one thing I decided to do is because I actually wanted it to be very different from Amazon, I opted not to do like a print on demand or um, go through like book vault or something like that. So I actually order all of my books from Ingram Spark. Um, I try to order all of my paperbacks too from Ingram Spark too because they ship a little bit faster than the ones from Amazon. Um, and then I always buy all of my ISBNs for those books specifically. And then I actually sign all of them. Um, I don't personalize them. Every now and then I might offer that, but I, I try to sign every single last one so that the customer is actually getting a signature. I could do book plates. Um, that's always an option too. Readers really like that. And so every now and then for some international ones that don't want to pay for shipping, that, that offering is available. But for the most part, it is so that I can package everything myself. So I put the bookmarks in the envelopes and uh, I have all the swag, but I don't do it alone. So the whole ideal for book boxes actually came from my husband. Um, during COVID, we were both at home together and um, his job was, you know, he was a personal trainer, so he couldn't obviously go to work anymore. And we were just talking about the different things. And he was like, oh, let's start offering book boxes. He was like, I'll figure out how to make candles. And so we started with that. And so everything that we do is done in-house now. Um, he'll make all the candles. You know, I, I will order like the art prints and the bookmarks and make sure that stuff is keep that coming. And so there is a significant amount of um, admin work. One way we have cut down on it is that we only do packages like two, maybe three times a week. Um, but we pick our two days and we pick our hours and that's when we do packages and that's it. Uh, and so usually everything can ship between um, three to five business days because we do sit down and do the packages like two times a week. And that just makes it very easy. And what makes it even easier is like I usually just pick everything and prep it all for him. And then he actually does the actual packaging where he'll put it in the box. Well, he'll build the box. He'll put it in the box. He'll add in the packing peanuts and then just like put the sticker on top and then we will go and drop it off at the UPS or post office. There's really easy. Um, and so I think when it comes down to the actual packaging between my shop and also running the signed bookshop, um, I don't do more than like maybe five hours a week of packaging. And so it's not massive. And that really is because we have the system down. Like we have figured out, we really did a lot of like testing with my shop um, for two years before we even opened the signed bookshop. So we could figure out this works well, this doesn't work well. Don't package things that way because this is, will damage the book. Um, here's the best place where we need to order our boxes. They come the next day. So it's really fast. So we never need to freak out if like we're sitting there, we're like, oh, we're out of boxes. No big deal. Just place an order. They'll be here in 24 hours. So things like that um, were really where my shop was kind of the test for that and really learning how to handle all of the operational costs. 
and then building that process, getting it down and just being able to do it very quickly. And it is something that we have fun doing together. So it's, it's great. I really like it. And I, I like that is not something that I'm just sitting there doing by myself, you know, because it's, it's not as fun. It's fun to do something with someone and have help with it. Yeah, I love that. I can see the sparkle in your eye when you talk about the packaging and stuff. I absolutely love it. Um, so you mentioned Ingram Spark. So do you do like, do you order batches of books then? Or are you saying that you order one individual one every time um, somebody orders from you? Like, how does that, do you have like a little mini storage unit or something with with books or? I need a mini storage unit. <laughs> no, um, all my books are stored in my house. So um, I have like bookshelves everywhere and just like stacks and stacks and stacks of books. Uh, We have like a big bonus room that is just full of bookshelves and full of books because I not only store my books, but I also store books for the signed bookshop as well. And so there were just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books. It's great. Um, So what I do is I usually will order um, books directly from Ingrid Spark. I will order um, anywhere between like 50 to say like 200 at a time, depending on how quickly I know books were, will sell. I used to do more pre-orders so I could get like a good grasp of how many people are actually going to purchase a book. Um, I have a good idea of that now. And so I don't do as many pre-orders anymore. Usually I tell people, okay, like the book is for sale. And when it's for sale, I've already placed the order. So the books are printing or they are actually shipping to me. And so I can just go ahead and fulfill them as soon as they go on sale. So that way I don't have like, you know, 100, 150 orders to fulfill at one time. I can just do them in small batches, which is what I actually really like doing. Um, And so... I try to never order one book at a time because between the the cost of like printing that book and shipping it, it ends up being very expensive. Like one book could be like $28 for me to order. And that's a very high cost. I'm not going to make any money off of a book that costs me $28. But depending on how many books I order at one time, I can get that down closer to about If I order like 5,000 books at one time, I can get that even down to $6. So I've never done the 5,000 at one time. I looked into it and I was like, oh, I like that price. Like my cost is $6 now. That's beautiful. But I haven't done that. Um, But just being very cautious of price and knowing that if I order 10 books, I'm probably spending too much money. Um, And so I need to make sure I do a big order and so that my price per book comes down and is closer to $10, $11. And so that way I can actually make a profit when I sell them. Um, Did you know Book Vault have opened up a, a, a big warehouse printer in America now? I am so excited about that. I haven't hopped on board yet because um, when I was looking into it, they were not doing the hardcovers with dust jackets. And that is actually something that I thought more people did uh, because I was looking at using Barnes and Noble for printing and I went and there were no dust jackets. Uh, It's just like the case hardcover, which everyone does like just like the case, like Amazon does that, uh, Barnes and Nobles does that, Book Vault does that, but it's the dust jacket. The dust jacket is really hard to get. That that will come because Book Vault in the UK is less than a mile from my house. I actually live right next to them. So I've been to the warehouse and they, they have the dust jackets in the UK and they've just started doing foil. I'm so excited for I'm that. I'm so I'm, excited. I can't I'm even. 
So I'm ready. Like as soon as they get that yeah. all opened up and ready to go, and maybe by the time that this podcast episode airs, it'll be good to go. Yeah, uh, so love it. One to keep an eye on because I'm pretty excited. I've even gotten some books. Um, I think they're from Book Vault, but uh, for the signed bookshop, like authors, they ship their books to me. And so I'm not in charge of any of the ordering process. So a lot of them are from Ingram Spark, but I think a few are from Book book bald and they're great the quality is fantastic so well the other thing that i love about them and this is why i'm gonna go with them uh for this new series is that they will do one color page and only charge you for that one page so i'm like oh let me just order character art right here and now let me just order a map like (laughs) let me just order all of these things so like i'm like having a field day over here um but yeah so i know i know so ready um okay let's let's talk about the fact that you mentioned earlier on um you know using ads to drive people to amazon it's all good and well setting up a store (laughs) how do we drive traffic to us and to our store and and yeah like how do we actually get them over (laughs) okay this is like I'm so passionate about this topic because I feel like people are just like oh I have my store and like okay (laughs) where are the people I'm like well you have you actually have to do the work like it's not like Etsy it's not like Amazon you're not going to get some residual organic traffic from you know what other people have done you really have to have a strategy for driving traffic and knowing what conversions are like and so this number might sound terrible but just in general for any e-commerce store any business um people that go to a website only about one to 2% of them convert. That means they'll make a purchase. I mean, at max, maybe 5% of them will make a purchase. Um, But it is very, very, like conversions are extremely low. And so you have to drive a massive amount of traffic in order to hit your sales goals. And so if you think about it like that, if you're like, okay, I know that about 3% of the people that actually land, come to visit my website, are actually going to make a purchase, then you have an idea of how many people you actually need to send. And so what I do is I have an ad strategy uh, and I use that combined with like social media, of course, because it's it's wonderful. It's great. There it is. And so that's easy. So my main strategy is the fact that I know if, if I can get someone on my email list, I can up that conversion rate like by like, oh, it's huge. I would say that about 50 to 60% of my sales come directly from my email list. And so my whole goal is I want to grow my email list to be as big as I possibly can because those are my buyers. Those are people that are really excited about what I have to offer. Every time I have a new book out, they are there. They are buying all the things. They're fantastic. And so I need to build that list as big as possible. And so I definitely am always driving traffic to the website. Um, I have my most popular book, Music of the Night. Everyone loves that book. That one has very high conversion rates. I barely need to do any work to get that one to sell. And so that usually is the one that I will put in front of all my ads just because it just makes life so much easier because I know that it will sell. And if that book sells and I can get them into the funnel, then everything else will sell too. But like that, that is the hook that really brings them in. So okay, so two things. What the reason I'm laughing is because I happened to show your website to somebody today because I was like, oh my god, look how pretty all this stuff is. And um, I just got to go. 
getting so excited I'm coughing um and what was their first reaction oh I want that book box guess which book box it was music for the night yes yep. yeah it was <laughs> so I know my- it was right like that's so funny um so okay why why do you think that one sells what what did you do successfully with that book so with that book that was just like my my showstopper so like I I feel like part of it was a little bit of luck um and then the other part of it was the fact that when that book came out I never stopped marketing it I was always talking about it always marketing it I had the book tours going I don't even remember how many book tours I booked, probably like 10. It was ridiculous. Um, But I had the book tours going. I had the ads running. um, I had the emails going. I set up a very specific email funnel just for like people that if they visited that page on the website and they were also on my email list, they would get an email saying like, oh, I saw you looking. Here's like more details. Um, It would tell them more about it. If they didn't make a purchase, then um, they get another email telling them like, hey, you can also get it on Amazon over here if you prefer to get it over here um and then like even more details about it just to encourage them to make that purchase um i also had discounts for it too so if someone joined my email list they could get it for 10 percent off um i did sales every now and then just like i never stopped talking about it i'm still talking about it and that book has been out for a couple years now and it is still my bestseller like it just flies off the shelf and so obviously when I saw that was happening I was like I I just can't stop with this book I just have to keep it going and keep ordering and keep that book box available because this is what people want and I've noticed anytime I release another book in that series it just brings a fresh wave of people that go back and grab that book and then they grab the new book and then they grab the entire collection and so that really works well because the bundle is the bundle is really is a, is a great money maker. Like they're all money makers, but the bundle is really fantastic. And so, is it the yeah. same couple or is it interconnected standalones? It is interconnected standalones. Like they're set in the same world, sort of, yeah. Yeah. like portals. And so it's and and they're short. They're they're really short books. Um, just because I I was writing epic fantasy and that was utterly exhausting. Like I was like, you know what? I don't ever want to write like a book that's like one hundred and fifty thousand words are, you know, over a hundred thousand words. Again, I just want to write like short, fun romances. I'm not going to worry about world building anymore. I just am going to focus on the interracial couples and just have fun with it. And um, stop like really trying to like think too hard and overthink about these big drastic epic fantasies. I'm like, I'm not Tolkien. I'm never going to write something that's going to be like Game of Thrones. Like I just am going to write fun romance and it worked. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it so much. Okay, like asking for a friend, what would you say to somebody um, who would like to, you know, do higher quality products from their website um, in terms of like advice for sourcing? So like, obviously, you need to source all the different products, like any advice or tips for like, how do you find the right stuff? How do you find it at the right price? How do you like... Do you, yeah, I don't know, like, how how do you even start with that? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, One of my goals was to start simple, just in case something didn't sell well. And just to start with like a bookmark and an art print, Um, because I was thinking about what I really enjoy as a reader. And I have subscription to Book of the Month Club, which all they send you is a book and a bookmark. And it's so simple, but it works. 
And I was thinking about that. And I was like, well, I don't have to be like super elaborative and put like 20,000 things in a box. I can just put like things that are actually useful. And so that that's been my focus, which is usually why I just do like an art print, a bookmark, a candle, and then character stickers because they're super adorable. And I just love the stickers. And so I would say start small, start simple with something that you can actually do and just keep in mind the cost. Um, because I feel like a lot of authors, they just pour all this stuff into a box and then it ends up costing a lot more than they think it will. And they make no money off of it. Um, my, my goal is like, if you aren't making anywhere between 10 to $25, don't do it because it is not going to be worth it. Like I'm, I'm not here for, you know, we made $5 and that's wonderful. Like, no, that's terrible. Like, we're not, we're not here to make $5. That's an Amazon thing. <laughs> so if, if you're doing it yourself and you're going through all that trouble of commissioning things and doing the work, make sure you're actually making a significant amount of money off of it. Um, nothing less than $10. And so for actually finding the quality, I think it's just kind of scoring through, going through, uh, Instagram, looking at the artists, looking at the the vendors and finding people and just knowing like what, what your values are with that too. Like one of the things is I try to buy a lot of my stuff from either like um, UK companies or um, in the United States. And so those are just kind of like where I, I'm just buying stuff from. Um, I try not to do anything from like overseas, um, from China or anything like that, um, just because it doesn't really fit with my values. And also it takes so long to get things from overseas. Like it just is too long. Like I'm, I'm a pretty fast person. Like sometimes I'll go to fulfill orders and I'm like, oh yeah, I need more art prints, you know, like I need those uh, this week. I don't need them in like months. And so there, there's also that to consider, but um. I would also say ask in like author groups, ask on like um, Facebook. I know there are a bunch of like, like Kickstarter is really big right now. And so a lot of people are finding a lot of different things on Kickstarter. And so Kickstarter groups will be a good place to ask. And then also um, browsing through Etsy because there are a lot of really fun products there, uh, a lot of great places. And so looking through those and just kind of deciding like, what do you actually want in your box that will fit with your work? Is it something that you just need to buy a bunch of wholesale or is it something that you're going to have made absolutely custom specifically for your books? And so just kind of weighing those pros and cons and knowing what you want will help really just narrow it down. Okay. So basically my whole reason for doing this is because as a queer woman, I, who, who adores books, I am really upset <laughs> that there are no like really high quality sapphic books out there. So that's why I now write spicy sapphic fantasy because there's like there's like five people doing it in, in like the whole community, you know. Um, but like I always get super jealous when I see all these beautiful book boxes because like there's never anything for me. There's there's never anything like I can't see me in those places. So um, that's the reason I, I want to do this. And but also like even more than that, it's like the not safe for work art 
there is never any not safe for work sapphic art. Like I'm so fucking obsessed right now with like finding somebody who will do this for me. Um, Kickstarter like scares me a little bit because the amount that you have to invest, but I suppose there's not really any difference in what I'm saying here and what I would have to invest to do this anyway. Um, in terms of like, you know, I'll have to buy the boxes, I'll have to buy the, the postcards or the bookmarks or, or, or the stickers or whatever. Like, oh my, oh my God, I would literally die to have not safe for work stickers. That's sapphic. <gasps> I think I think I just decided I have to do that. Um, yeah, so I'm just sorry. I'm like freaking out over it. I think that's a good point because one of my big things is looking at the market and seeing like I don't see A, B, or C in the market, and I don't see anyone raising their hand to do that. So I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. Like one of the big things is I know that there are authors that write interracial romance with a black woman and a white man. I know that they do that, but they don't put that on the cover. They put the the man with his chest out on the cover. And I'm not a man chest cover person. I just am not. I'm like, I want the couple in a romantic pose and that's what I'm going to do. And and, uh, it, it was really funny because I was on Instagram one day and someone tagged me in a photo and it was like this black woman and a white man and like this artist had done a beautiful job with this and they were like is this your artwork and I was like it's not but it's working because they tagged me and they asked me if it was mine because my brand is showing they know that like that is what I write this is what's always on the covers and then they see it and then they're like oh that's her and so yes if if there's something that's missing in the marketplace I think you, you just do it you just do it and you make it a thing. And then people are like, oh, wait. Yeah, I feel so inspired. Like, this is why I started writing the spicy, because there is sapphic fantasy, but a lot of it is young adult and there's no, obviously no spice. Um, There are, like, I don't want to say there are no authors doing it. There are a couple of authors doing it. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I read over 120 books a year. That's two authors is not enough, right? That is not going to fulfill me for the whole year. A whole year, two books. I know, right? <laughs> and they're publishing every single month, like even yeah. you're not, not even. Exactly, exactly. So I'm a pump books into the market. Anyway, um, okay. So you, um, let's, we all learn lessons, right? We all make mistakes. <laughs> Are there any mistakes or kind of big lessons that you've learned along your journey that you kind of wish you knew before you started? So yes and no, I always feel like it's part of the learning experience. Like if I didn't know A, B, and C, then I never would have like learned that lesson or adjusted. But I think one of the big things I've learned is that I know what my brand is now and I know what sells and what works. But um, even after I had like, even after I released Music of the Night and that like did absolutely fantastic, then I went back and started writing more epic fantasy and I expected it to be the same way. I expected it to go viral and go wild in the same way. And it didn't because it wasn't the right genre. It wasn't the brand. It wasn't the fit. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, like these books all like bombed because this wasn't what the audience was expecting. Like they wanted more interracial romance with these couples. They didn't want epic fantasy or like a story about like, you know, all these mythical beings and stuff like that they just want this one thing which i do enjoy writing and like if i write this one thing that is actually what's selling and i enjoy writing that so why not just keep my focus 
on what I enjoy doing, what I know is selling, and just stay stay with that instead of trying to be all, all over the place with genres and doing different things and just focus. And so I think that is one thing that I wish I caught it sooner, but I just need to sit back and focus on that one thing and keep releasing those books that have like, you know, the beautiful couples and just, you know, those, those very beautiful books and stay with that. And it's fun. I, I absolutely love it. So why not? So you are writing interracial fantasy romance. Yeah, yes. I'm gonna have to read some of that. Um, okay, so how do you how do you ensure that you're still getting like global sales? Is the majority of your audience US? Like, are you able to ship to the other countries? Like, is it prohibitive? Like, can you still do it? Because obviously as a UK based author, a lot of my audience are in the US. Now, whilst I can have like non-signed Ingram printed hardbacks or whatever, I can't do the signed, the book, the the beautiful everything and without my hand physical hands touching it and therefore it's got to ship from the UK which is just so painful um but yeah like how do you find that you're still able to sell abroad like how does that work so that is actually one of the reasons why I created the signed bookshop because I know so many authors that live in different countries that wanted to sell their books direct to the U.S. audience, but they they couldn't because like you say, it's it's so expensive for the shipping. And so my shop and the signed bookshop, like 95% of the customers are U.S. based. And when I'm running my ads and most of the um, most of the advertising I'm doing where I narrow it down by country, it is just specifically for the United States because that is the biggest audience. Um, I can even do like, you know, they spend over $100. I can do free shipping because it's just not much at all. And so that really is my main focus. And I do have like my loyal customers that are in other countries like Canada, I have one in the Netherlands, one in like the UK, I think one in Belgium. Um, and I think even one in Australia where they will all like anytime I have any release, they will come to the shop and they will order their book box and then I'll we'll just ship that out to them. Um, and so definitely I do have it open. Um, it's not a, open in every single country, but I try to hit like Canada, like I always have a, a good chunk of people from Canada. And then like the UK, it's even smaller. And then a few other countries scattered about, and that's about it. And so I can ship over there. But for the most part, I, I tell them that, hey, I, I also have my books on Amazon. And so if you can find the hardcover on Amazon, if for some reason it happens to be linked up correctly and everything is magic as the way it it should be, uh, then you can find it and you can order it that way and not have to stress out about paying the ridiculous shipping and the custom fees and taxes and duties and all of that stuff. Uh, so it's it's definitely available for them. And that also is one reason why, I mean, I've thought about just selling exclusively on my shop, um, but then I'm like, well, there, there's just so many benefits to being on Amazon. So I'm definitely sticking with Amazon too. Um, this is just really something that's unique for the people that actually have the budget for it. And so the, the people that buy direct for me, that's usually a completely different audience than the people that will buy an ebook or borrow it on Kindle Unlimited, completely different audience. And so I, I, I understand that and definitely want to make sure all of my books are available um, for readers, no matter where they are in the world. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, last question before I ask you the ultimate uh, question. Um, y- you have quite a large Instagram following. So what? how do you like build, grow? How do you engage them? Um, and how do you kind of use it to drive people to your store and your books and your products? Yeah, yeah. I will say one thing that has really helped with um, building that Instagram following is two things. So one would be giveaways, which I know a lot of authors participate in giveaways, but collaborating with other authors and doing giveaways. The other thing is that I boost my Instagram posts all the time, just because with the algorithm, no one is going to see all of my posts all of the time. And so if I have something that's really important that I want them to see, that's usually when I will go in and I will boost it like a cover reveal, a new release. Um, Anytime I have like something new that's coming up, those usually get boosted. And that really helps people see my content over and over again. And that helps to grow my following. And so that that's exciting. And then I try to engage with them. I try to make sure I take time to like go through and like reply to messages, uh, reply to comments, um, actually go through and like go to their photos that they tag me in, any stories, any reels, actually comment on those two and just really make sure I'm staying present <laughs> on the app. And Instagram actually is the only social media that I use. And so it just is a lot easier because again, I learned my lesson. I just need to focus on one thing at a time. That really helps me to focus. And so if Instagram like disappears, poof, all of a sudden, I guess I will go start over on TikTok or something and it'll be fine. Uh, But it, it just is really about being present and engaging. And I do try my best as much as I possibly can to get all of those people over on my email list. I will tell them like, hey, something special is coming soon, you know, join my team um, and you can get a free ebook and just different things, incentives to get them to come over and join my email list. Um, and so I can talk to them more, um, but then I can give them more actionable content too. Do you know your Clifton strengths? I do. It's One focus of- in it. <laughs> it, is, it. It really is the strategy, empathy, and I believe there is that their futuristic thinking, I think focus too. But yeah, I think about that a lot because I'm like, well, I, a lot of what I do because is because of that strategic thinking. I'm always like thinking in the background. I'm like, huh, well, what if I did this? And yeah, that would work. That Let's try it out. Let, let's do this. So Oh, I love it. I had to ask because I could hear like some of the words and I was like, oh, (laughs) yes, Um, yes. Okay, well, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. I love this question. So I was thinking about it. I was really excited about it because I feel like the the strategies that I've taken and the direction I've taken with my business has really become something that I I think about, I'm like, well, this is not a popular thing at all. Like I know direct selling is becoming quickly becoming popular, but I've I've sat back and I've looked at the way that I want to structure my life and structure my business and just have like have a life that I enjoy. And so it's not always about like getting to the next destination, but just, you know, waking up every day and being like, you know what, I am excited and happy about what the day will bring. I'm going to enjoy this process. And so that really kind of made me think of, you know, like it's not necessarily about like what everyone else is doing with their author career or with their books or with their strategy is really just looking at it and going, okay, what, what is the end goal that I want? What is going to bring me joy? And then let me focus on that 
instead of um, trying to measure up to what everyone else is doing. And that has made me so much happier with um, my author career. So instead of worrying about like everything that's going on on Amazon and just like all the ups and downs and everything that's going on with TikTok and how to go viral there, I just kind of focus. And I think that that really makes me a rebel, I guess, because I'm not doing what everyone else is doing. I'm kind of trotting my own path. And if it overlaps, great, wonderful. And if others want to know more, yes, I'm more than happy to share. But if not, that that's totally fine. Like there, there's no pressure here. Like you you need to carve your way out and create a life that brings you joy and it brings you abundance and purpose. And that, you know, that also blesses your family too. And so that's that's something that's really important to me. And I think that 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 makes me different and unique and stand out. And I'm totally fine with that. Oh, I love that so much. That is definitely the marker of a rebel, of a rebel. And that's exactly why I asked you on the show, because you are doing something different and it is exciting and it is interesting. And I am fascinated. So thank you so much for your time today. Would you like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you, your beautiful books and anything else that you would like to add? So yes. Okay. So you can, of course, find me on Amazon. I'm there. I promise. But my website, AngelaJFord.com, that is where you'll find me. You can uh, learn more about all of my books, my book boxes. And then I also run the signedbookshop.com, which is just absolutely gorgeous books. I just am so honored and blessed to be able to run that shop. I absolutely love it. And then I'm over on Instagram. So you can always come say hi at AngelaJFordBooks amazing thank you so much for your time today and of course a gigantic thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons if you would like to get early access to all of the episodes then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash sasha black i'm sasha black you were listening to angela j ford and this was the rebel author podcast join me next week when i'll be talking to anna craig all about author branding for 2024 don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher And when you have a moment, please leave a review.